Hey everybody, welcome to the Single Tracks Podcast. Today's me, Jeff, and I'm here with Greg and Aaron, and we're talking about staying warm on the bike in winter. Depending on where you live, it may be really, really cold outside, or maybe if you're in Florida, it's absolutely beautiful, and you should go out and ride your bike and not listen to this podcast. <laughs> there you go. So, I want to start off by asking you guys, what's the hardest part about riding in the winter for you? The hardest thing for me, and probably for a lot of people, is just getting the motivation to get out the front door in the first place. When it's dark and it's cold, the weather's crappy, it's a lot easier just to say, screw it, and sit on the couch. So the motivation factor is is one that, that's the toughest for me. I was going to say the same thing as Aaron, but on top of that, you know, especially for legit snow biking and fat biking, there's just so much more gear to get together. You know, you're just wearing so many more clothes and you have to have different layers and different pieces that you just don't need in the summer. It takes more prep time and more forethought than riding in warmer weather does. Yeah, I agree. And getting out the door for me too is the hardest part, but I always find that once I'm out and, you know, assuming I'm properly dressed, it's fine and I'm having a good time. And I wonder why, did, why was it so hard for me to get out the door? What is your, like your go-to piece of winter clothing for staying warm on the really, really cold days? I'm going to preface this by saying, so Jeff and Aaron are down in Georgia, and I rode a lot of winters in Georgia, but having moved to Colorado and now like focusing on uh, you know, legit snow fat biking, it's sort of been a totally different game out here, um, which has been a real learning curve just in gear and figuring out what I need and what I don't. So now it's like I don't have one single piece of gear. You know, It's like I've created a pretty dependable layering system that all together your meshes to create a pretty bomb proof setup but there are a couple items which i think we might talk more about later but i just don't think you can beat like legit fat bike boots that are designed for riding in cold and snowy weather and bar mitts to keep your hands warm obviously if you're going to be riding in really cold weather you're going to have a lot of gear on but one one thing that i reserve for the coldest of rides is a buff I think that's the general term and the uh, actually a brand name, and um, they they call it microfiber tubular headwear. But it's it's a really versatile thing. I mean, it's it's something that's so simple. You can wear it around your neck. You can pull it up to cover your ears. You can cover your nose, cover your mouth. You can pull it up so just your you know just your eyes are exposed. Essentially, it's really thin. So even if you are covering your nose and your mouth, you can still breathe through it really easy but i found it makes a huge difference on the super cold days to keep your keep your ears and nose and stuff warm and they're super cheap i mean you can get a buff brand one for less than twenty dollars i think at rei yeah i'm glad you mentioned that i i wore one of those last year out in minnesota and loved it and i forgot that i wanted to buy one so thanks for reminding me for me i mean my go-to gear i i would say i have a pair of like pearl zoomy thermal tights that work really well yeah and i look i look really sexy in them too by the way i do throw like a pair of mountain bike shorts over them so it's more like a base layer and also have a a nice base layer like a long sleeve heli hansen base layer that's like for skiing but i mean that thing is so warm you put that on and just one layer on top of it and you're toasty so i would say those are my two like sort of base layers that I build on top of whenever it's really, really cold. All right. So let's talk specific tips for keeping parts of our bodies warm. Feet and toes. That seems to be a problem for a lot of bikers. 
even though the, our core might be warm, but it seems like feet and toes get cold much quicker. So do you guys have any tips? I do. I've actually also got a, just a general tip for keeping warm. We kind of all touched on it already, but in general, layer, layer, layer. That allows you to, to shed articles of clothing if you get too hot. It also allows for some space between the different layers to, that acts as extra insulation. So usually on the coldest rides, I go with a base layer and then a standard three-pocket jersey over the top of that and then a wool jersey or a sweater over that and if need be, a windbreaker or some sort of jacket. But specifically, going to feet and toes, one of the easiest things to do to keep your feet warm is ditch the clipless pedals and install a set of flat pedals in their place because you don't realize it but your cleat on the bottom of your shoe acts as a big heat sink so it's pulling warmth out of your foot and if you're wearing flat pedals or if you're using flat pedals you can you can wear warmer shoes if you have a pair of hiking boots or a pair of winter boots it's a lot easier to keep your feet warm with those if you are using clipless pedals there's a few things you can do really dirt bag method is to put tape over the cleat mounting plate underneath your insole so take your shoe off take the insole out, put some duct tape or something over the cleat plate. Uh, that'll help a little bit with the heat sink effect. You can upgrade your insoles. I know, for instance, 45 North, they make a cold weather insole that you can trim to fit any kind of shoe. You can duct tape the vented mesh areas on the toes on your shoes. And you, there's also shoe covers, which I've had kind of mixed results with. Most of the ones I've used, i found they don't really stand up to mountain biking, especially if you're going to be doing any kind of hike of biking, you're going to stomp through the bottoms of them pretty quickly. Obviously, wool socks are a big help, or skiing or snowboarding socks. You can double up on socks if you've got room in your shoes. Another dirt bag method is the plastic bags over your socks. Plastic bag, well, I guess not a shoe cover. That's like a sock cover. Yeah, you can if you if you have thin socks, you can go... You know, one layer of socks, plastic bag, bread bags work really well. I've also been told the Subway sandwich bags work really awesome for this. And then put another pair of socks over that. And, you know, if you've got the scratch for it, some winter-specific boots. 45 North has a bunch of models. I know Greg's got a pair in now, and I've got a slightly less heavy-duty pair that I actually wore today. So they worked great. But, yeah, pretty much every company make some sort of winter shoe. Shimano's got one, CD's got one, Giro's got one. And uh, if you do get a, a winter-specific riding shoe, I would uh, consider getting a size up, and that way you have room to wear some really thick socks and your toes have plenty of room to wiggle around and keep warm in there. Yeah, my tips are much shorter. I'd just say get some 45 North boots and call it good. Um, <laughs> I will mention, speaking of sizing, like, you know, I bought the standard size I normally get, and 45 Norris boots definitely have more space and wiggle room than, like, say, a standard shoe in that same size. So you may not need to size up much at all. However, I've heard this theory about losing heat out of your clipless pedals. And personally, the jury's still out on whether or not this happens in the Wolf Hammer boots. So I'm interested to maybe try it both ways and see if I can discern a difference. But it's going to be kind of difficult to actually like get some real like information on that because like five degrees of difference, you know, air temperature can make a big difference too. But I will say, you know, going with legit fat bike specific boots has sort of totally changed the way I look at 
riding in deep snow. And another pro tip that I learned from Neil Belchenko over at Bike Packers Magazine, who just happened to win a 200-mile fat bike race in Idaho. So, guys, pretty legit. If you're going to be slogging and doing any hiking whatsoever, if you take those boots and add a short pair of low-rise gaiters over the top, that also keeps snow from you know working its way up your pant and down your boot. And you can have a pretty impervious setup for hiking in snow. That's not going to weigh very much at all. Good tip. So what about other extremities? What about hands and fingers? What do you guys do to keep those warm? So I'll jump in on this one. So something I just started using, guide in for review, are pair of bar mitts. And when you see photos of these things, like you're like, these look dumb. you know. So bar mitts are big. <laughs> neoprene covers and they cover you know your entire grip your brake lever and your shifters but after using them i know why they exist because you just cannot beat them even riding down into the low teens my hands are almost like too warm in them so i generally use a pair of you know, insulated gloves but like a thin pair of gloves within the bar mitts you know this gives you plenty of warmth because the mitts are protecting you from wind and the elements and you're also very good control of the you know the bike controls, your brakes and your shifters. Whereas if you're trying to use, say, like a big pair of ski gloves, it's just hard to work your levers with a really floppy thumb. So the bar mitts handle and take care of all that. And another bonus to bar mitts, which I didn't expect until I started using them. Well, so let's say you're fat biking. If you set your bike down on its side or you happen to fall in the snow, you'll get snow all over your grips and then you grab those grips and instantly it melts the snow and your hands are wet which sucks and then your hands are really cold but just having the bar mitts uh, even if you like set your bike down or something or if you crash it covers the entire grip so keep all the snow off the grips even in you know if you're goofing around so there's a lot of benefits to bar mitts which i didn't realize at first yeah that's some really good points greg i would say the only thing i would add glove liners can really make a big difference so that's just a really thin glove that goes inside a bulkier glove but there is kind of a point where you lose so much dexterity it's hard to feel the shifter or hard to feel the brake lever but it's still possible to ride you just kind of gotta adjust your expectations so you're probably not going to be able to haul as much ass as you would if it wasn't so cold but at least you're out there riding one other thought so lots of people are big fans of mittens in the winter because your hands stay warmer since your fingers aren't separated. Obviously, you can't ride like that on a bike because you won't be able to hit your brake. But one thing several cold weather bike companies have done is create what they call a lobster claw glove. And that essentially pairs your index finger and your middle finger and then your ring finger and your pinky finger into two different fingers. So this will maintain more warmth than, say, like a regular glove where you have five different fingers, but it still allows you to hit the brakes with two fingers and still have better control. So it's sort of like compromise in that department. I've been testing a pair of those, and they definitely have way more warmth than standard gloves of similar thickness. So worth looking into those too. All right, and finally, I've heard that people lose a lot of heat through their head. I'm not sure what the percentage is, but it's a lot apparently. So what do you guys do to keep your head warm when you're riding? I mean, obviously a helmet is going to be on your head. And so the helmet itself maybe keeps some warmth in, but I think a lot of people are looking for ways to add a little bit additional. So what have you guys found for that? I've got a 
really great uh, thin polar fleece hat. It's a, just a little beanie. It's nice and thin, so it fits underneath the helmet. It's not too bulky. I can still tighten the helmet to where it needs to be to be comfortable. But usually I, and again, this is a product of not having as a brutal winter as, say, Greg, but I usually just wear ear warmers because when I wear a hat, I, it usually makes me overheat. So if I start a ride with a hat on, I'm typically having to take it off 15 minutes into it because I'm getting too hot and I need a little bit of ventilation. There are a handful of rides that it's necessary, but most of the time I can get by with just ear warmers and those make a big difference for me. Yeah, it definitely depends on temperature. So speaking from, say, the high mountain standpoint, a lot of people use ski helmets, but personally, I find a ski helmet way too hot even for backcountry skiing or hiking a ridge while I'm skiing. So I don't like using it on the bike because it's just too much heat. So 75% of the time, I use probably a very similar low-profile cycling-specific beanie like, like Aaron was talking about. So I just use that almost all the time. If that if it gets just too cold outside and that's not warm enough, I generally toss a a thicker skiing beanie. Again, still not a helmet, but a heavier hat into my pack and just put that under my helmet if I need more warmth. And as far as helmet, I generally also wear like a really lightweight road bike helmet because it's a little bit easier to put over the hat and I don't feel like carrying around the weight of a big enduro helmet. Yeah. Well, we've mentioned a number of cycling-specific pieces of winter gear, but will general-purpose gear work? Like, what what pieces of general-purpose sort of, like, winter wear have you guys found works well on the bike? Yeah, if you've already got winter gear, I would say give it a go on the bike before you go and buy anything new, especially if you have any ski gear or snowboard gear. Try that first. Like I mentioned before, hiking boots with flat pedals, that's a good way to go. So if you've already got a set of hiking boots in your closet those are probably going to be a lot warmer than your just your standard mountain bike shoe and wool I'm like I said I'm a big fan of wool wool sweaters I mean you don't have to get a cycling specific jersey just an old sweater will do I I'll ride in those occasionally and you know you can go to the Goodwill or Salvation Army and pick up a old used wool sweater for a couple of bucks but wool does a really good job of regulating your body temperature it does a good job of cutting the wind and it doesn't stink which is a bonus so (laughs) big fan of wool and you can pick it up cheap yeah plus one of all that i think you know you asked about need and i as with everything with mountain bikes i don't think you know we need very much biking specific stuff but it's interesting when you make the jump from general purpose gear to mountain bike specific or even fat bike specific gear you understand why they've created that gear because it solves that problem in like the best way possible so if you can do like things like bar mitts fat bike boots things like that they're great but like Aaron said you can get away with a lot of other stuff personally I still use a lot of the same layers and warm clothing both top and bottom that I use say for skiing or snowshoeing even on the fat bike so fleeces base layers even certain types of outer pants if they're low profile enough will work for you Okay, so finally, I want to talk a little bit about sweat when it comes to winter biking. Should riders be concerned about managing sweat when they're riding in the winter? Absolutely. If you sweat and you're wet and then you cool down, you could really run the risk of hypothermia, especially if you have some sort of mechanical and you end up being out on the trail longer than you anticipated. I would say 
a good rule of thumb is if you're slightly chilly at the start of your ride, then you're dressed appropriately because you're going to warm up pretty quickly. And something to consider is where you're riding. If you're just doing a ride at a local trail system and you're never going to be more than a couple miles from the car, that's okay because you can hike out. But if you're riding in the backcountry in the winter, don't screw around. Bring plenty of extra clothes. Like I said, you don't want to be perfectly warm and cozy at the beginning because otherwise you're going to overheat and then you're going to sweat and then you're going to have issues. But if you're doing a big ride somewhere in a remote area, bring a jacket. If you don't need it at the beginning, bring it with you anyway, because something does happen, you're going to want it, you know, and also an emergency blanket is a good idea. They're really cheap. You can, they're, you know, the size of a cliff bar, they weigh next to nothing. And it's really easy just to throw one of those in your pack for your ride. So I would say sweat is definitely a major concern and don't screw around if it's legit cold. If it's below freezing, something goes wrong. You could be in a world of trouble in a hurry. On top of that, I would say, you know, sort of adjust your expectations based on the fact that you're riding in the winter. Just expect that you're going to be stopping to switch layers. So if you start feeling yourself heat up, stop and drop a layer before you get soaked through with sweat. It's going to be much better for you to take the 30 seconds to stuff, you know, your jacket in your backpack than getting soaked is, you know, the issues that's going to cause you down the road. On the flip side, if you feel yourself getting cold, it's easier to stay warm than to get warm again, especially in your extremities. So if you, lots of times I pack a couple different pairs of gloves. So if my fingers are getting cold, stopping and switching to a warmer pair of gloves is going to keep me happier for longer than just trying to tough it out. Most of the time, you're not going to be racing in the winter either, unless you're some of these crazies doing the ultra fat bike races, but adjust your expectations a little bit. Yeah, that's good advice. And one one more thing I'll add. I tend to get dressed right before I'm about to go out. So, you know, sometimes maybe you put like all your gear on before you hop in the car to go drive out to the trailhead. Or for me, you know, it's, it's at home getting dressed. I wait until the last minute to put all my gear on so I don't start sweating in the house or in the car beforehand and, you know, soaking through those base layers because that can definitely leave you cold. I would also add on the, the sweat thing, sometimes when you're riding, you're not, you're not going to sweat, and you're, so you may not be thinking about hydration. So that's also something that you really need to be aware of when riding in the winter. I know it's, it's hard because you may not feel thirsty, but you're losing a lot of moisture through your breath you know, when you're exhaling. So be sure to still drink plenty even when it's cold out. And I know you can get insulated camelbacks and other hydration packs and you can get insulated drinking tubes or you can run the tubes through your jersey so you don't risk the chance of having your water freeze so the hydration apart from all the other gear you need is still an important important thing to consider when you're riding in the winter yeah it's a great point something that a lot of people definitely don't think about so cool this has been fun discussing winter gear Before we leave, we're going to do our favorite segment, what's grinding our gears and stoking our spokes this week. So Greg, do you have something that's stoking your spokes? Speaking of winter riding, I am getting stoked on groomed single track trails. Lots of people are starting to call it fat track now. (laughs) But what I didn't realize, so I've been fat biking for years now, but I first uh, sampled groomed single track this past week in Leadville. And 
you know, I wasn't really expecting a whole heck of a lot. I was like, all right, I've ridden groomed trails before. You know, this isn't going to be that different. But going from, say, like a groomed snowmobile trail or groomed ski trail to like a narrow single track, like winding through the woods is actually totally different. You know, it's flowy. You've got like the turns and like the rollers that you expect out of a mountain bike trail. You know, it's more of a single track experience, like whipping through narrow trees. And it's it's not as easy as you'd expect, especially trying to corner on tight curves at speed on slick snow can be a little bit tricky. So if you like riding flowy cross-country trails during the summer, then you're going to like riding fat track during the winter. So I was very pleasantly surprised by it. How are they grooming that? Uh, generally, it's... You know, everybody's sort of creating their own different thing, right? So, like, lots of people don't have any idea what anybody else is doing. It's kind of interesting. They're like, well, what are the people out in Colorado grooming? You know, my friends in Wisconsin ask me. So, it's uh, lots of people are creating, like, homegrown solutions. The most widely used one is a specific type of drag that you drag behind a snowmobile. So, generally, most fat bike, fat track trails, like, you have to be able to get a snowmobile through to pull the drag. However, the, the groom part generally isn't as wide as, say, a snowmobile, though. So you might see the front outrigger, like the tracks from those, like off to the side, but you won't be able to ride that wide because the drag won't be packing that far out. A few people are using basically like a tracked motorcycle to get an even narrower track, but I think the adoption of those is slower since snowmobiles are cheap and they're pretty readily available compared to other means. It was very interesting. I was quite surprised at how well it rode. Cool. You got anything, Aaron? I got something that's getting me stoked, but it's also related to what's grinding my gears. So I want to grind my gears first. (laughs) So what's grinding my gears is my 2000 Subaru Legacy is on its last legs, and it's time to say goodbye. And it's making me sad, not only because it's, it's been a fun car, but also because... I don't really want to spend any money on a car right now. That kind of sucks, especially here in Atlanta, you kind of have to have a car, especially if you want to get out to any mountain bike trails. While I could probably live without a car for a little bit, it's definitely not a permanent solution. That's grinding my gears, but it's also stoking my spokes because you know what? I'm going to get a truck. (laughs) That's what I'm going to do. Yes. I used to have an 88 Toyota pickup, which I absolutely loved, and I pretty much regret every day that I got rid of it. So I'm going to get a truck again because that's what I want, so I'm going to do it. So that's stoking my spokes, the prospect of getting getting a new rig. You cannot beat a pickup truck for hauling bikes. Like, there's no better machine. What about you, Jeff? What's going on in Mr. Barber's world? Um. Yeah, I mean, I think... I'm like Greg. I'm I'm stoked for fat bike season, even though that's not happening where I am. But <laughs> but what's cool is you know doing what we do at single tracks and seeing what people are doing across the the country and across the world. I mean, I was shocked to see how many fat bike races were on the calendar this year. I love riding year round, and so I don't know. I'm just excited that people that live anywhere can ride year round now. And it's really you know we've talked about it for years that. That's why fat bikes are such a big deal, but I feel like it's finally catching on. I mean, if you had had this number of races just a couple of years ago, it wouldn't have been possible because not everybody had a fat bike, but past few seasons, like more and more people are getting them. And I think finally we've reached like a critical mass. And so that's, to me, that's exciting because it's new and gets more people involved. So I love it. 
Yeah, I, I did the Snake Creek Gap time trial this past weekend, and I will say it's the most fat bikes I've seen in the wild in one place apart from a demo. I probably saw at least a dozen people racing fat bikes on this trail, which is we we you know we didn't have any snow or anything like that so there was no you know apparent need for a fat bike but these people were using them as their main rig so i thought that was really interesting because you know we talk about fat bikes all the time but very rarely at least here in georgia do i ever see them out on the trail so that was it was pretty cool to see that many people speaking of people using them for their main rigs i think something we're going to see more and more of are people especially in northern places buying a fat bike for their first or only bike you know, for most people out there, it's still like a second or third bike. We've been mountain biking for like decades or whatnot. But as we see new people come into the sport, if you live in a place with snow, it makes the most sense to like drop your dollars on a bike you can ride all year round than a bike you can ride six months of the year. And that's like a perspective I didn't really get until like this fall. I was riding with a guy and he was a relatively new rider and he's like, yeah, this is my only rig, you know, because I fat bike all winter and can still ride in the summer. Yeah, nothing says you can't ride a fat bike on a dry trail. What about what about you guys' gears? Are you guys' gears getting ground up by anything? I'm always pissed about something, but <laughs> nothing super specific right now. I'm just, well, I'm tired of being cold. So we're talking about being warm on the trail. <laughs> but I'm freaking tired of being cold. It's just like, I don't know, I love just shredding, you know, dry single track. It's like 65 degrees, perfect temps, just sublime, and we don't have that. The interesting thing is we're just starting to get into El Nino cycle. People are like kind of blaming what we've got going on by on El Nino. We're still not in it yet, but we've got a weird winter going pretty much across the southwest. So we wrote a top nine southwest mountain bike destinations list and had a few people come and say their spot, while it normally gets no snow, is got blanketed by snow and it hasn't melted yet. And that's what we're experiencing here in Salida. Like generally we can ride dry trails and 50 degree temps down in the valley all winter long but it snowed like early december and we have not gotten our dry single track back yet which i'm a little bit pissed about it's been a really weird winter already and it's only january we've got a lot of it to go yet sounds like you need a winter home dude uh (laughs) considered it but well the interesting thing so on that article you know like people from albuquerque were saying albuquerque is snowed in i've been seeing a lot of posts um from Sedona, people, pros traveling to Sedona to train, and Sedona got snowed out, and they had to keep going south to, like, Phoenix or Tucson. So it's been rough in a lot of places that it normally isn't. You know, we post a lot of articles every week on the website and on Facebook, and every time we post a, an article, there's going to be some negative commenters, and, we're, we're I mean, we're used to that, and we can usually ignore them. But I guess this week, yeah, I'm a little a little bummed that there are so many people that aren't really open to hearing other perspectives on things. You know, we had the the gun article recently, and there's some people complaining about language in a particular video that we posted. But I guess I'm just a little sad that like some people get that bent out of shape about somebody else's perspective. I mean, I don't necessarily agree with every article that's posted on single tracks, but people have their opinions and they're valid. So maybe I'm being a hater on the hater and it's just a big (laughs) cycle. Like I should just accept that they're not accepting. So maybe that's the answer. You know, what I think is interesting 
is when people like they hate on something and so it's not like we're even like asking you to accept this point as like true it's just like try to like see something from somebody else's perspective you know like you don't have to agree with everything we write that's okay but perhaps you can like add more information to your banks of information you know maybe that changes your opinion maybe it doesn't but you can still like entertain somebody else's perspective without agreeing with it Right. At least consider it. Don't just leave the conversation because you don't like what the other person is saying. Yeah, I guess that's those are the ones that kind of make me sad when people say, like, I'm not reading your website anymore because you posted something that challenged something that I thought before. Right. So, I mean, like the gun article, like, I don't agree. I'm, I'm never going to carry a gun in my pack. I'm not afraid of bears attacking me. You know, like, that's just not something I'm ever going to worry about. But it's valid that some people do and I'm interested to read about that and I'm willing to, we're willing to publish it because it's somebody's opinion, you know, and there are people that agree with it and there's people that don't. The other thing I guess too, that I would say is that we don't ever publish things just to like generate controversy. I think there's that perception with certain things that, Oh, they just did that for clickbait or whatever. And it's genuinely not that there's a lot of interesting people in mountain biking there's a lot of interesting ideas out there and we want to share those ideas you know we don't want to keep posting the stuff that we know everybody is gonna agree with and that everybody's already heard before like you wouldn't want to read that anyway so i'm stoked on the people that do validate that i mean to get an article that gets tens of thousands of views i mean that's pretty to me that's validation that it is a topic people are interested in whether they agree or not but it just makes me makes me a little sad the people that they can't handle, you know, hearing another perspective. So if you have a topic that you'd like us to write about or a question that you have, definitely let us know right on the forums or Facebook, because we're always looking for different perspectives and different ideas and hope you're enjoying the single tracks podcast. Thanks for joining us. See you again next time. Peace.